Greetings, Vault Hunters, and welcome to Echoes from the Borderlands, the podcast where we explore the iconic Borderlands franchise through conversations with the writers, devs, artists, and others who are responsible for its creation and its success. I'm your host, Joel Watson, and today we are taking a side quest from our main mission and talking about the subtle art, the beautiful science of doing a funny voice and saying things like, suck my taint, or shoot my taint, or hey, taint face, go taint a ass. We're talking voiceover in the Borderlands games. I'm joined by Associate Director of Narrative for Gearbox and producer of this very podcast, April Johnson, and voice actor, director, and Gearbox V Overlord, Joel McDonald. Welcome, lesser Joel. <laughs> Other Joel. And superlative April. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having us. I want to establish that baseline right here. It's we're enemies and we're on the same side. We are, not just because we're both on the couch together. Yeah. Oh, it, no, it's couch team. It's team couch. <laughs> I want to do um, a weird little voyage through voiceover real quick. Before we get to Borderlands-specific voiceover, mm -hmm. let's talk about voiceover in video games. The Borderlands franchise features dozens of main characters, hundreds of background characters, and thousands upon thousands of lines of dialogue. All of it has to be written, edited, cast, directed, acted, recorded. My guests have experience in all aspects of that process, so let's talk about the importance of voiceover to the Borderlands franchise, as well as the video game industry as a whole. What do you say? I think that's the largest topic you could introduce. <laughs> For real, yeah. And just be like, hey, <laughs> tell me your thoughts about this mildly hot button topic. Um, speaking like specifically to Borderlands games is that I firmly believe that we are exceptional at writing characters, memorable characters and folks that sort of stick to stick in your craw. Get stuck uh, in your ribs. Get yep. stuck in your ribs. Uh, you would want to sop them up with right. a biscuit. Oh, this is uh, this is biscuit character content. <laughs> and and with that is because we've also cast such phenomenal voice actors. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Joel can speak a little bit to sort of the freedom that we give, particularly the vault hunters, the player characters, and the villains. The sort of freedom we give them in the booth to make it unique and make it their own. Is everything she's saying a lie, Joel? Not everything. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, it's I think it's true. I think uh, just for for Gearbox in particular, and I think for the games industry as a whole, I think there's there's been a, a, a these huge leaps in in letting actors dive into these increasingly complex characters and and, and environments. Uh, and so it's uh, you know I don't know if there's been like a stylistic shift uh, exactly, but I think the the amount to or the depth to which uh, actors are allowed to kind of explore their roles, uh, I think it's become very evident how much value is in that. And yeah. I, so I think everybody's doing it. I, I think like when you can really like cast the right actor in the right role and let them sink their teeth into it and let them explore it kind of from the inside, add their own flavor, make it themselves uh, to a certain degree. I, I think the, just the, the value of, of that is just unparalleled. It's crazy. Let's take a thousand steps back. The first time I heard what I would call a voice in a video game, I remember playing Super Monaco Grand Prix on Sega Genesis. Humble brag. And, sure. uh, I'm old. Did you have a Sega Genesis and an SNES? No, I was I was a one console kid. I had both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in that game, in your in your settings, you could cycle through all of the sound bits. And then you would get to the voices that would be like Checker Flag. <laughs> like, like it was like not words. It uh -huh. was like the hissed, dying gasps of of the oldest person to ever die. Right? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> like it was just nothing. And I'm not even sure if it was human voice that started those or if it was synthesized. For me, obviously, the PlayStation generation, the 32-bit generation, was that the first time you experienced voice acting in a video game? For me, it would have been like, I. it's crystal clear in my mind. It was a PC game called The Seventh Guest. I was gonna say The Seventh Guest. Dude, yeah. right? Because it's that good. So one, like, what that was able to do for like body capture and stuff. But it was the first time that like, I can remember one, my dad had to go like build a new tower to hold all the data for it. A game that, by the way, now you can play on an iPhone. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. Just... What year would this be? Like 92, 93? Oh, I don't like it when you say 91. it out loud. Yeah. It's the rudest thing you've ever okay. seen. I feel like it was earlier than that. Is that an attack? Know. <laughs> no, it was definitely early 90s, as so many things were. But um, it was the first time for me, like experiencing like atmospheric, creepy voice. Okay. What it felt like to listen in on people whispering something like alluring in a corner, and along with the puzzle mechanic of someone telling you that's not right. I'm like, I don't know how the chess pieces move. <laughs> um, but yeah, the seventh guest for uh -huh. me um, was really like the first time I was like, oh, I'm feeling uh, connected to something. Yeah. Did Did you have a something besides the seventh guest? Well, I mean, the seventh guest was one of the first ones that I yeah I played on my uncle's computer and uh, and yeah it blew me away. But like beyond that, I I mean I I played a lot of early PS one games. Yeah. And so like you know Resident Evil, Silent Hill, that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I think it's pretty clear that the voiceovers come a long way. Like I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't want to disparage anyone who acted in any of those earlier games, <laughs> but um, uh, but at the time, at the time, like just the virtue of the fact that there were voices was enough yeah. to yeah. like kind of keep people interested. Well, and you know? so, look, so coincide that with, we specifically were young, the industry was young, yeah. everything felt right in line. Mm -hmm. It all felt like huge leaps every time. Um, for me, it was uh, Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver on PS1 and Dreamcast, mm -hmm. where uh, I went back to it not too long ago, and this it, it is a rich, deep story. I would watch a movie of it. They're even, I think they're actively trying to shop it around right now for like a, a, a streaming series, you know? it's It'd be great for that. I go back and check it out, and it's um a little community theater, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Raziel, you Lord. must find the blade. Like, I can remember watching the opening, and I'm using quotations not to diminish it, but like cinematic for a game called King's Quest Seven. Uh -huh. And I remember being absolutely blown away by like the singing, and it felt like watching the beginning of a Disney movie. And then I went back and played it like as an adult on an emulator, and I'm like, this is for sure MS Paint. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could not convince me otherwise. Well, I, and I think voiceover in general, I think, has come a long way. Like I used to, when my first audition for an anime studio uh, in, in the Metroplex, um, I'd never seen anime before, but I was called in for something called Desert Punk. And I was like, I don't know anything about it, except it's anime. So I looked up some anime, and I watched a lot of Speed Racer. Uh -huh. uh, and so like, I went in with the most late 80s, early 90s anime over the top, just like, oh, yeah, so it's your bleh, fault. Bleh, bleh. <laughs> yeah, you did it. <laughs> I didn't get cast, because like, it had already grown beyond me. Fuck, uh, Chim like, in the Monk 5, yeah. you gotta catch him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was embarrassing, and Desert Punk is not at all that style. Uh, and so yeah, I was kind of laughed out of the room, and rightly so, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I think like, if you like, identify All right, so your line decade, is the zombies are coming. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No. Ah. Uh. That's Nailed none it. of that's words. <laughs> right. <laughs> when do you think video game VO either was taken seriously enough to be good or got good enough to be taken seriously? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, man. I think it would probably be 
some of the Bioware games. Okay. Because it was like, it couldn't just be good voice acting. It had to be paired to me. It had to be paired with good storytelling. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that might have been like earlier Bioware games. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. I could be also there's a thousand people that are like, you are the wrongest wrong that right, ever right, right, wronged. Right, right. It's, it's this niche sure. game over oh, here. Oh, well, but you're I'm on like, the internet. So yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, you know how it do. goes. Um, I, for me, it's like, when did it take that cinematic turn? where it was less about one good character maybe with like one good voice and then a bunch of NPCs that really weren't just the, the people in the office. Uh, hey. Or mm, or, <laughs> uh, or was it, was was there a jump off point where it was like, no, we are, we are like, okay, duh, this is kind of gross, I feel bad, um, but uh, the Brothers in Arms games. No, I was going to say, the I early think, Brothers in Arms games. I think games. were a huge leap in terms yeah. of story and identifiable, recognizable, realistic voices. I, I agree. Well, and, uh, so I was going to say, early Brothers in Arms games and uh, and also like even uh, early Assassin's Creed games, yeah. Yeah. Which, I, which I loved. And like if you play those older ones, like it looks like someone painted faces on balloons. Like the visuals, yeah. the visuals weren't yeah, yeah. there yet. Uh, but like the, the characters and like, I mean, they even had, was it Kristen Bell was in like one of them Assess- early on? Assassin's and, like, Creed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, they started getting like attracting the attention of like prominent actors like and not just voice actors who you know I, I love to death but like actors from other mediums uh, real that, actors is what you mean hey. I, I wouldn't <laughs> I would oh, never oh, oh. <laughs> but and and so I think like when your visuals are I mean they were they were innovative for the time and they were kind of cutting edge but like when right. you're when your visuals aren't uh you know where you want them to be I think that's where people start putting more attention on the voices and the stories and how they everything plays together the music all the other elements and I think that's when you started seeing games kind of understand their parameters and start to lean in them. To wrap that up then, when do you think video game voiceover elevated? Like a performance of recent time where we're, you know, in, in recent games history, where you're like, damn, this is on par with the best acting I've seen. Honestly, I'm, I, I've struggled to pick one because I think that that video game uh, VO and VO in general, I think, just kind of is constantly leapfrogging over itself. Like, I, I think every actors love taking down the king, you know. Right. Uh, and so, like, I mean, I was just playing Far Cry Six the other day, which I'm a little behind on, but like Giancarlo Esposito yeah. is like is just a stunning performance. And uh, and you know, of course, you got uh, uh, Troy Baker and a lot of stuff. Um, um, oh, is they, he in video games? Uh, he's he's started doing video games. Okay, cool. Uh, uh, actually, I, I was just playing uh, Miles Morales the other day, and Darren DePaul, who's God. who's taking over the role of uh, Jameson, uh, um, uh, Jonah Jameson, uh, just as an, a flabbergasting job, uh, and it's not like a main character, or a central character, or anything. But like, I think, I, I think what you're seeing more and more is that actors are keenly aware of when everybody else is winning, and every, right. everybody wants to win just a little bit more. <laughs> I think you got Chris Judge uh-huh. uh, at the top of the pile. Um, you got uh, uh, rest in peace, Lance Reddick. I mean. Mm-hmm. What an amazing ability to go, this is the only voice I do, it's mine, yeah. it's my regular voice, and you desperately want it. Yeah. Like, it's it's applicable everywhere, yeah. and, and, and it's iconic. Um, Keith David. Yep. Um, I, I think those are people that you're like, whoa, they got 
they got uh, gargoyles. They got Goliath in this game. Yeah. Like, well, when, when we got to uh, we got to work with uh, uh, Will Arnett in uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, yeah. and he was amazing. In the very first session, you know, that's usually reserved for kind of setting and establishing the voice. Uh, and he asked, he was like, "So, uh, what kind of what kind of voice do you want from me?" That and one. We're like, "That's the the, the you, one, sir. The, you the, one. the Will Arnett ish <laughs> voice that you do." We played with a few other things, but like, we just kept coming back to like, I, I don't know. It was it was you know, it's iconic. It's super fun. So let's talk about the early days of Gearbox and Borderlands VO versus today. Uh, every vocal performance begins with a script. I know that we have a fully staffed and robust narrative department at Gearbox. Was it always that way? It wasn't. Um, that is a very good mini faceted uh, question. So in the prior days of Gearbox, so your BL1, BL2, um, we and Brothers in Arms, it would have been the lead writer, because we used to only have one writer doing most of the writing, and then other body would sort of be like, oh, oh, Holland's on deck, I can write some BOBD or whatever. And they would be with the creative director and the lead writer would be very close to each other, sort of in each other's pockets, creating that content. Creating, little you, kangaroo people. A little, people. little kangaroo, yeah. but they would get in each other's hoodies. Uh -huh. And um, they we would- We made them wear the shirt that you put kids that are the arguing along shirt. The along <laughs> we shirt. had put the, the get along yeah, shirt yeah, on yeah, yeah. these people. You can't come and out then, until you write a script. And then as we started getting larger and people started um, getting more refined in their disciplines, right? So it's not just, oh, you're a designer, so you're making levels, missions, enemies. It's like, we have mission designers, we have level artists. So they decided to refine that process a bit for narrative as well. So we grew into a narrative department and that actually Joel and I were very early on mm -hmm. in the narrative department at its inception. So we had had producers- So whatever's wrong with it, is, is all the poison there. that you planted Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, was definitely my fault. No, uh, we're going to blame Randy Varnell. And so uh, we had had producers that worked on narrative before, and we'd had producers that had worked localization. Those were always part of Gearbox. But like they dedicated me to narrative production and working on building that department. Is it safe to say that like sort of uh, part and parcel with this conversation of when was voiceover taken seriously? That's when it was taken seriously internally. It was. It wasn't that it wasn't taken seriously, but we realized the benefit to having a dedicated VO director. Right. And that was when, for Borderlands Three, when we had an in-house, which would have been Joel, mm -hmm. an in-house director. We had someone who, which was me, was like wrangling the writers and localization full time. It was like. Writers' rooms are a full-time gig. Like, there's no like putting your toe in there and being like, "I'm going to be here for ten minutes." No, boys. you're like nanny for the Muppet babies. I always <laughs> the the way I referred to it earlier in the narrative department when like we were we we're just starting it out like that first few years as being um, a den mom or being okay. like um, the college advisor, like the, the you, RA. The RA. I was yeah. like the most adult person in the room. At certain times, but yeah, Joel really. Joel actually made a case for a full-time VO director. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was uh, when I first started interviewing for they they were looking for a contract director for Borderlands Three that would just kind of do you know periodic contracts uh, that would loop as needed. Um, and I've worked I'd, I'd worked on Borderlands Two with with Gearbox as an actor. I've worked for a handful of different other game companies and studios, and and uh, worked in the anime world for a while. But we all make mistakes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I was able to kind of you know I was able to talk to to Mark. Petty and a few others about uh, the, the benefit of having someone on the ground uh, working with the writers and, and kind of, you know, helping to conceptualize uh, VO performances long before we even send out audition sides. Shout out to Mark Petty. 
Um, I don't know his official job title. I know he's in charge of audio things here, but he helped us set up this podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> um, in those early days, uh, as you begin these Borderlands writer's room, well, actually, first question, we, we've already talked to Mikey Newman and Randy Pitchford mm -hmm. about the writing of one. It's as you described. They did it together in a yeah. sweaty closet uh, and then came out three days later with a script and no memory of what and it happened. And it would happened. have been very similar for Borderlands 2 with Birch. So by Borderlands 3, we've got a writer's room. We have a writer's room. We have more than one writer. Borderlands has always been joke heavy. Do Borderlands writers compete for jokes? <sighs> so That was a guttural. <laughs> Look. Oh, I no. love the writers dearly, so, so, so dearly. I, I never want to leave the narrative department. Um, I'll die in the walls. They'll okay. just find me 30 years later. We'll just have you back just, there for that fine. painting, yeah. Um, it is a thing where I like to describe it as like, all ships rise in the tide and like, you're sharpening each other. Uh -huh. So there is sort of this thing where we would be in the room and we'd be like shooting lines back at each other and you know it's like particularly good when all of us would just go, fuck you. <laughs> like, and we would just like, be like, that's it, that's the one. Um, it's knowing that you've been bested, but you've also, you're happy about it. Well, because the best content for the game is the best content for the game. Right. And like, that's really what a collaborative experience in a writer's room is. It's like, yeah, occasionally we'll be like, oh, I really thought my joke was gonna be the one. Um, but the real talent and the real skill to me and every writer we have on staff has it, is it's making someone laugh and then making someone feel something so deeply a sure. few lines in. Like Anthony Birch writing that line for BL2 where like you're dealing with Handsome Jack being just like an absolute persnickety asshole for so long and you're starting to see like the cracks in him and they go, what's the password? And he goes, I love you. And you're just yeah. like, yeah. like, it's just such a thing where you're hearing this like diamond pony boner fart joke. And then you're getting like five hours later in the game, you're getting have this you just like Have you guys done your thing. diamond pony boner <laughs> fart jokes for the like, day? Dude, I don't have time. I, I, I mean, I know I'm biased, but like that's the, I think I love how Borderlands uses humor for stuff like that. And and like, I don't know if there's anybody that's that, that does it better, maybe as good, but like, I, I think- That's one of the bold. Things, dude, dude, for, I, I've always hated like heavy drama, like the Arthur Miller stuff, because I can't identify with these characters. I Hot take on Arthur them. Miller. Right I know, now, right? right? You knew it was dropping, it's dropping just, some it's, knowledge it's, on it's, Arthur Miller. It's topical. And, <laughs> all but the like, kids, all the TikTok kids yeah, have opinions on this. <laughs> I hate, you know what, dude? I hate the fucking you book. I hate the Crucible so dude, much. I, I've never come across an Arthur Miller I really enjoyed. But it's, it's all because it's so heavy. It's so like drama ridden uh, and like you can't, you don't, you care. Like if all you do is cry, then you're just crying more. But like, I think Borderlands does such a good job. And like the writers have like maintained this forever of of being able to like, if you can get someone to laugh with you, you can make them cry with you. Absolutely. And if you, and if you can catch them off guard, if you can get them where they live, like when they, when they don't see it coming, like that's when the real is, stuff happens. Is that reversal the the subtlest cut? Like, is it like, I gotcha, you think you're having a good time, it's not gonna be good for long. Right. Yeah, that's, it's sort of the um, the sugar cubes that get you into the barn, and then right. you're like, oh no, it's a glue factory. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> Borderlands is the emotional glue factory exactly. of, of video games, <laughs> sure. that's, that's perfect. Uh, you you fight for the best joke, do you, do you punish for the worst joke? So, Worst joke is relative. So the worst jokes to me, I have such like a, mm, like I clench my jaw whenever 
the writers and Joel and Varnell and everyone sort of connect to that, will get in a feedback loop of puns. And I'm like, we, we, yeah. we, we have work to do. We have work to do. They're like, nope, we're just going to see who has the best pun. And it's just like 40 minutes. I experienced this. It's terribly wonderful. It's behind, Both of those words are true. Behind <laughs> the scenes, Joel McDonald uh, came up with the name of this podcast. Uh, he pitched it as something else, and I stole it from him. It's true. Um, that, yeah. I'm sorry, but I, it's, it's the right name. And we, but we went back to the writers and said, "Hey, we don't. If we don't have to steal Joel's idea, Ugh. can you give me a few others?" And they just punned themselves until uh, my laptop exploded. Yeah. yeah, and it was unhelpful but hilarious. We when, go ahead. No, well, I was gonna say. I thought so. It, when I first started, we the, the narrative, the writers' room was a different room, uh, and uh, we uh, I think they had somebody had taken a dry erase marker and written "word nerds" uh, across the glass door uh, <laughs> and dialogue cabin. Uh, well, yeah, and then we moved to another room. We're like, well, what are we? What are we gonna put up on the wall now? Like, yeah. what's our? What's the name of our spot? And we spent forty minutes or so just coming up with ideas. I won with dialogue. Log cabin, uh, which we eventually <laughs> wrote on the door, but it was like everyone was just like, "Okay, that's it. That's very good. We need you to leave for a minute. <laughs> get, get, get out. out. Yeah. Get out." <laughs> we would. Varnell is uh, Randy Varnell is the president of Gearbox Properties now. Uh, was like managing all. He's of my the, boss, and I think he's, he's very my handsome boss too. Right, right. He's very tall. I think he um, is wise when it comes to doling out uh, raises. Anyway, go but ahead. he. Um, he would say puns that were so terrible that we would just point to the door yeah. and we would make him leave. We were like, you can't be in here until you, you need to go think about you what you've done for an hour. threatening energy for this peaceful place. <laughs> uh, his, his birth, I remember his birthday was a few months after I got hired. I was hired in February. About you used to wear the coolest years. leather jacket. I know, right? But he, his birthday came up and I knew it and I knew he loved puns. I hadn't been around it a lot, but like, you know, I, I knew it. So I bought him this game. I can't remember what it was. It's like Punderdome or something like that. It was Beyond like, Punderdome? It was, <laughs> it was, but it was a pun oriented <laughs> game. And like, I bring it to him like to work or whatever and I hand it to him in the writer's room and every other writer was like, "How dare you? You, <laughs> you have given you have given a brick of cocaine to an addict. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he just sat in the corner all day going, That's a great Varnell. It's either that noise or he puts his arms up like this. He's oh, like, sure. like superstar. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about early days of the recording process in a physical sense. I've recorded with Gearbox in those days, yep. and it was in a closet <gasps> full sure. of Gatorade and foam, yep. um, wires coming out of the ceiling tiles, a uh, thousand degrees. Yeah. Um, is this is this everyone's experience? No, <laughs> not here. No, we still we we haven't walked away from closets. Like if an actor's got a closet, like that, we we still dabble in remote recording and have for quite a while. So closets are still on the table. We embrace the closet lifestyle. But dude, we got a very very nice studio here. Yeah. yeah. No. Now I'm so so you don't have. If you came on on three, we had our studio big boy pants on at that point. Then we we were doing yeah, things right. right. There, there were still you know wire nuts being you know capped onto stuff and everything. Right. But like it was yeah it was it was ready. We were still doing yeah, but we definitely still had a sort of wild west vibe where we would go oh no we forgot we wrote that echo log. Can you come in here and record this? Like there was still us sort of scaffolding and spackling things right. with with internal talent. Well, okay, let's talk about internal talent versus pro actors. It's really common, whether people realize it or not, up until a certain point, there, wa there weren't video game voice actors. Sure. There was a combination of maybe voiceover professionals mm -hmm. that just knew how to be on mic. 
the occasional known actor, um, but then also who's in the office. Uh, there, there, there was a lot of who's in the office actors. Uh, you can find um, uh, executives from studios, you know, that are that are like main characters in right. voice games and True. stuff, uh, in video games. So, when was Gearbox's shift, or was there one from DIY to like mm, this is this is a big deal? It was around the time I came on board, uh, and one of the first things that I did, one of the first uh, company-wide emails that I sent out was uh, like a fool, dude. You were so I know. brave it was so dumb. to send that well, out. I, I sent out an, uh, a company-wide email that just said it was called Gearbox Audition Gasm 2019 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, and I was looking for what we used to do was we would temp in, stub in VO. And uh-huh. uh, and so we would have internal, quote unquote, actors come in and play these roles to give us a sense of timing and all kinds of other stuff. And it was a, just a, a fun opportunity for people who worked on these titles mm-hmm. to play around right. and, and show off for each other and all that. Uh, and uh, we, we've got some incredibly talented people here. But uh, one of the things that, uh, I, that I, I became aware of pretty quickly is that you know, there are certain stages in game development where s- people can get spread a little thin. As as right. as g- much of uh, a, a Herculean effort as our team leads do of making sure no one gets burnt out and everyone's mental health is taken care of, uh, it's it's impressive. But everyone's going to have tight spots, and if their tight spots overlap with Vo's tight spots, like we we can't we can't rock forward with that. So right. you know, everyone is going to have to be replaced. Uh, with uh, and in, in Borderlands Three, there were just a couple of notable exceptions, uh, but but for the most part, uh, we we need people that you know have their own schedules and timelines to deal with, but they're being you know kind of contracted and kind of uh, and properly uh, compensated to come in right. and work with right. us. Yeah. Right. So. So when using internal Gearbox employees as talent, did you find any diamonds in the rough? Uh, yeah, so we had, we had uh, Elisa, who was working here at the time, was Tyrene. Uh, we had uh, Blythe, uh, who uh, uh, popped in as uh, Genevieve. Um, and uh, Mike Cosner uh, was, uh, was uh, oh. Um, Typhon De Leon. Typhon De Leon, yes. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they ended up, they, they, they tempted in the roles originally. And uh, once we actually started running auditions uh, and, and kind of stacking everyone up against each other, um, there there were there were decisions made within uh, throughout the studio that these were the voices we were in love with, and it yeah. Was, yeah, I don't think anyone could have done a better job than Blythe of the monkey sex noises. That was one of my favorite <laughs> sessions, yeah, because it was just like Joel telling someone, "All right, let's do like casual monkey sex noises." Like you're starting to get excited, but you're not quite there yet. Yeah, and it's just her like making these guttural <laughs> noises. Uh, I I told her at one point I was like, "I need you to just I'm just gonna leave the mic open, uh, leave the track open. You just do about thirty seconds of monkey sex noises." Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll cut you off when we've hit 30 seconds. Uh, and I had, I think Sam was in the room it with me. It would have been me. Sam. Sam. Sam and Danny, maybe. Uh, and so there were the writers that were observing. And at about the 30-second mark, I start to lean towards the, the talkback mic to tell her she can stop. And they grabbed my wrist. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare <laughs> stop the magic her, that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. how would you rob us of this experience? <laughs> a full minute, minute and a half of monkey sex noises? Right. It's my ringtone. And like everyone in narrative at the time did a couple like very small voices that you might not even ever hear in the game. Um, and it was just sort of, it was basically, like I said earlier, it was just like band-aids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bandages yeah. being yeah, I mean, like. Var- Varnell was uh, an echologue. Uh, Sam was barista bot. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Danny had, I can't remember the name of the. Beans. Danny had. Beans, that's Danny what it was. was beans. Yeah, yeah. And we all did Walla. So we all just stood in a yeah. booth and screamed. For the uninitiated, what's Walla? 
Uh, Walla is crowd noise. Uh, I was I was originally taught that it stood for with all actors, uh, but I was recently told, uh, or recently found doing some research on something else, that it's it was uh, the actual word that old school radio back in the 1920s, uh, they, they used to just ha- throw a couple of like radio employees into the booth and just go walla 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 And then they would make record a couple of tracks of that, stack them all on top of each other, and it becomes... Rhubarb, rhubarb. Uh, yeah, a, a crowd scene. So yeah. So weird. Yeah, so we would have four of us around a mic, four to five of us around on a mic and then Andrew Cheney would be in the booth who's like the audio engineer and it would just be like okay you're excited about this thing okay you're witnessing a murder okay you're Walla. seeing this <laughs> Walla. Walla. and so we would just scream in, in varying degrees and they yeah. would layer it on so we did a lot of that um, <laughs> was Borderlands 3 the last time that we're able to do DIY yeah. band-aids? Or yes. we... Yeah, very much so. And, and honestly, I think even um, uh, to, a, to a certain degree, I think that was something we were already trying to mitigate during Borderlands right. 3 just because everyone's busy. Everyone's got other stuff to do uh, and you know we, we have a, a really robust uh, local uh, voice actor community to, to pull from. It's it's ridiculous not to, to, to make use of them. Local voice actors looking for you. Right. <laughs> in your area. In your, in your area. Yeah, they're, they're looking for your area. Yeah. In your area. Um, April... You often throw around a word that sounds like 90s gangster rap slang. Oh, my goodness. It's loke. Loke. Localization. So um, localization is taking uh, a game and getting it localized for other territories and other languages. So um, that isn't just a one for one. That isn't like A to B. Um, There's actually like... It's not Google Translate. It's not Google Translate. Yeah. You have to contextualize it for a language and for for a territory. Um, I love localization because one of Gearbox's like passions and kind of one of our internal mottos is like we want to entertain the world. Mm-hmm. And you can't entertain the world if you're only doing it in one language. Right. But with localization, and 2K has an incredible localization house. Like the same team has been localizing Borderlands in German since the first Borderlands. Oh wow! Which is really important because Borderlands has a lot of make them up words. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, absurd language and having someone that already understands like our context and tone and one of my favorite I have two favorite localization experiences but I get to experience one of them every game and that is localization will send us a very very large sometimes 800 to 900 cell spreadsheet and it'll have all these lines that the writers have written and there's just a blank space that says tell me why this is funny And And it's it's not a justification. No, it's It's just like, I need you to give me the context context. for this line because I have to put that in German because we have to contextualize that for Portuguese. And then how often is it like, Germans do not find this funny? Well, they have to find a way to make it work for their language. So it might be inserting a German idiom. It might be making it a pun, but it works in Japanese. Like right. it's, it's like I said, it's not a one for one. And we get a lot of compliments uh, whenever we've had, like I remember Anthony Nicholson when he was doing um, the press tour in Asia, particularly for um, Bounty of Blood, which was the third DLC for BL3. Mm-hmm. The press was like, the, the Japanese version of this is so incredible. And like 2K made efforts to get well-known, well-respected Japanese actors mm-hmm. for it's, it. So it's almost a rewriting process before. Completely. Um, it's a complete process. And more recently, it's sort of become a thing that we understand a little bit more because probably in the past five or six years, we finally get Pokemon games simultaneously released. They used to get released in Japan first, go through the localization process, and then come to America. So it's like, it's such a big thing now to do it. 
And not only do you have to contextualize language, but you have to contextualize what you're seeing. So like day, week one of my job, like day four, when I moved from operations into narrative, uh, Randy Varnell was like, you seem like you've got localization in hand, finger guns, bye. And he just like sort of- <laughs> Pun, 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 bye. Bye, and just him in a beard just left my office. And um, one of the mission, the mission designers and the writers were like, hey, we wanna do this mission, but we're unsure of how, if we can do it or not, can you check? And I was like, all right, explain it to me. And they explained the mission and I sort of tilted my head. And I had to write to localization and write to these grown people with real email addresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't like kitten boots 69 at AOL. It's like real people and it's like 2K at the back of their email address. And I had to say, hey. Kitten boots at 2K.com. Quick quesh. Um, what can and I cannot do? Like what am I able to do to a dead body involving a spork? And they were like, oh, great question. So you can stick a spork in and you can take a spork out. But you know what you can't do? In and out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. They were like, no piston action on the sport. No. They're like, we can't, you can't basically like. I love that this person <laughs> went, fucking fifth time today. I've got right. a so, so, I copy paste from my answers. <laughs> like, don't. These are the spork answers. Yeah, you have to have like, and because Borderlands is an M rated game, we can do things a little bit differently. But yeah, you have to have like very specific questions on like immolation for bodies. <laughs> and there's a reason that you can turn the splatter, like the gore off. So like, the gore physics in BL3 are incredible. Mm -hmm. And so you can basically turn that off for localization purposes. Like they can make the choice to do it. Wow. But yeah, it is a very weird thing to be like, tell me why you're funny. Also, uh, hey, don't do anything sexual with a fork to a dead body. It's like, <laughs> you're not the boss of me. Like, don't tell me what to do. Is there a chart that it's like, so you've got a spork and you'd like to stick it in a dead body? Here's okay. Here, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, and it's, because uh, my question was like, man, I think in one of the Bioshock games, you're able to like place bees in a body as a bomb. Um, but be, be body bomb. Be body bomb. Uh, but they were like, be nope, body, you can do body this. Be body bomb. Because we also have to do a mission in BL3 where you cut off someone's arm. And they were like, yeah. hey, you can do that, but you can't keep doing it. And I was like, well, how many arms do you think he has? Can I keep it? Once I've cut the arm off, it's just gone. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean Theoretically, I can only do it twice to the same person. So. Or keep chopping the arm. But yeah, so it's... Oh, it's, like dicing it and julianning right, it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is always like, I just get an email where they're like, can you explain what dump truck ass means? And I'm like, I sure can. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sa sanitation is taken very seriously in Japan. Uh, they do not find this funny. It's, yeah. uh, it's a skilled job. It's well-paying. Uh, yeah. What joke are you trying but to yeah, make? But yeah, the, the 2K Loc folks have the patience <laughs> of saints, uh, and I'm very appreciative of them. Have you had a we're grown-ups doing grown-up jobs uh, experience here? Daily. Like daily. Like, it's it's uh, to not have that for any amount of time would be shocking. Uh, yeah, no, it's very much so. I, I, we, we uh, uh, every once in a while, uh, I'll be asked to write battle dialogue or, or something kind of yes. minor for, for the team. Uh, uh, and one of my first things when I first started, uh, I'd been with the company a week or so, uh, and I was still kind of getting to know everybody. And, like, you know, you, you, always when you're kind of meeting a new people, you're like, how much do I show my ass? You know, like, right. it, like and I, for you so far, too 
for two, it's a lot. It's a, it it's like can be up at the top. <laughs> but at one point, all the writers were like, "Hey, man, we're behind the gun uh, on uh, a bunch of names that we're supposed to come up with. We need we need a bunch of sexually themed weapons names, weapon names for uh, TD Org. I'm your guy. Found, they no, couldn't Torg. Torg. They couldn't have found a better person. And they well, and, but like no one knew me that well, and I didn't know them. But like we have to go to a meeting. We'll be gone for about two hours. Can you just whip up as many sexually themed weapon names for Torg uh, as as you can? And I was like. Got it. And they leave, <laughs> and they came back two hours later to a list of well over 200 names. Uh, and they were like, we we can't use these. Not one. <laughs> not, not a single one. Okay, uh, you uh, you got the sides, right? Yeah, uh, should I just start from the top and run straight through, or? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, well, when you're ready, we're recording. <clears throat> Gearbox and 2K are offering a new bundle that contains every Borderlands game to date for one great price. It's called the Borderlands Collection Pandora's Box, and it's available now on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. How's that? Uh, uh, great, great. Uh, yeah, uh, but let's uh, let's take it one more time from the top, and this time just uh, 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 good. Good? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like everything you just did, all those same words, uh, but say them uh, good instead of bad and dumb. So, so just, just good. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're rolling. Oh, okay. Um. <clears throat> Gearbox and 2K. Okay, okay, let me stop you right there. Just, I, I, I don't think it was, I was being clear. Okay, so it, it's my fault. So what, what I meant by good was uh, the opposite of what you're doing and who you are. Oh, um, I've heard the note and I'm taking it. <clears throat> Gearbox and 2K. Okay, okay, all right. So, hey, is it too late to get the claptrap guy? Yeah, but are we paying I, I don't think so. Okay, okay. Lots of people want to work in video game voiceover. It's true. Ooh. It is a high demand aspirational career, I think. Absolutely. Um, is that because of realistic expectations or the opposite? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I think the best voice actors make it look fun and easy. Uh, sure. And uh, and I think especially uh, in places like Gearbox, where we we allow, I think maybe maybe an exceptional amount of experimentation and play in the right. booth, where the actors kind of have a little bit more um, uh, leeway to to experiment and play and, and explore. Assassin's Creed's actors aren't offering their takes on boner jokes. Uh, well. Actually, I did see. Did, did did you see the the, the video that uh, Heacock was passing around the other day? And it was uh, outtakes from was it Baldur's Gate? Or yeah. Something? <laughs> There's some really. I think it happens. It's just not always. Just making the game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, it's and especially I think is with these actors being out on the convention circuit and kind of talking about the behind the scenes and like how much playing there is. I think yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a. It, of course, you would want to work, but it's not video game VO. It's by no means an easy job. No, it's no. it's it's not spiritually similar to writing and VO acting. Is that the the buy in is fairly inexpensive, meaning, oh, I can write with a piece of paper and a pen. I can write yeah. with this. VO acting is like, oh, well, I can do silly voices and there's a microphone. Well, that's really simple. That's really simple. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but like, can you keep that voice and maintain that voice through like every consonant in the alphabet? Can you maintain that while saying like battle dialogue of things like you smell like my little girl, like Ooh, can you, yeah. which is a real line of dialogue that's in BL2. Um, can you maintain that? And it's just, yeah. it's not easy. And, and you know, very few people are 
a video game voice actor or an anime voice actor or a commercial voice right. actor. I mean, there, there is some specialization, but for the most part, if you want to make it in the industry, specialization is for insects. You've got to be able to do it all. Like, so uh, that's why you see, uh, you know, a lot of the the, the cast from uh, Borderlands, several Borderlands games comes from uh, uh, Dragon Ball Z or yeah. One Piece or, yeah. you know, any number of, you know, the locally produced anime titles. You got, um, you got Sabbath. Yeah. Um, Colin Clinkenbeard. Colin Clinkenbeard. You got uh, Chris Rager. Uh, yeah. Eric Vale, uh, uh, Kent Williams. Um, uh, dude, the, it, the it list just goes, goes on and on. on. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But it, it's, but not, those, those it's not the Dragon Ball connection that puts them in the game. Is it literally the proximity? Like, we have a huge dubbing industry in Dallas. Sure. We're, we're very close to Dallas. Um, is... Is that serendipity? Like, is it just yeah. this nice little pool of talent? It's, it's just they're, they're, these people are working all over the place. Like Eric Vale, who's who's played, uh, I think he was Boom and Boom in Borderlands 2. He's Doom. also the vo uh, Yeah, exactly. He's also <laughs> the voice of the Dallas Stars. Uh, right. Uh, Ian Sinclair, who Ladies is- Ladies and the, gentlemen, the, your Dallas Stars. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, <laughs> the, uh, and Ian Sinclair, who's the Trance in Borderlands 3, he was the voice of Raising Canes for a while. Oh my God. Uh, he's, he's in a bunch of anime and stuff he too. He lost like, out to Post Malone. <laughs> oh, God. oh no, poor but Ian. All these people work all over the place, and so like I, I, we're we're always looking for up and coming actors or established actors. Like we want, like we we explore the casting pool to find out who's out there, who we want to work with, who we want to engage with, and they're looking for for places and studios to record just as much as we're looking for them. So right. uh, so it's bound to happen eventually. I, I would think that it would work both ways, where it's very beneficial to Gearbox to have that pool of talent nearby. It's very beneficial to that pool of talent to have a AAA game studio in their backyard too. Sure, yeah, but we've also now that we're leaning more and more into uh, the just the joys of remote recording. Like right. you know, April mentioned earlier that the Gearbox kind of you know creed is entertain the world, and I said from my very first day at the company, I talked to Varnell and Randy Pitchford about I want to cast the world. I want everybody. I want to be able to like find the right actor on a different continent uh, and uh, and 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 bring everybody. To together. I want other languages. I want accents and dialects that are authentic. I want representation of all kinds of people. Uh, and so uh, step by step, you know, it's it's it, there's always kind of a transition period when you kind of go from, you know, a, a more fledgling company that's always kind of done things, you know, a certain way into what's effectively the big leagues. Uh, right. And so and, and but in order to gain access to those people from all over, we've we've been able to widen our scope. Uh, and we're, we're never going to ignore our local heroes that have helped to kind of build the franchise. Uh, but at the same time like we've you know now everyone everyone has to work a lot harder <laughs> right. because there's so much competition and we're able to access so much of it and i don't know i think the quality bar continues to rise because of that not just here but everywhere it, is it safe to say that doing silly voices can be where that career starts, but it's certainly not where it ends? It is almost always where it starts. Like silly voices and impressions are just kind of how everyone starts to explore the industry. My The first time I even knew voice acting was a thing was when I was a kid and I realized that uh, Grover and Yoda sounded a lot alike. And Miss Piggy. Uh, and Miss Piggy. Like, and it's, <laughs> it kind of started. I also thought that Louis Armstrong was the voice of these people for a period really? of time uh, because it just kind of seemed to work for me. In okay. My, but anyway, I, but so like, you know, you, you start to just bit by bit kind of come into an understanding of this is a lifestyle. This is something right. that people do. Uh, and and I think then it kind of it necessarily turns into inhabiting a character, becoming like emotionally invested and being able to, to create a story and to, to share it with somebody. To April's earlier point about um, what it takes to stay in a character, I, I feel like there is a, an unspoken uh, element to this that, that doesn't hit a lot of Aspire, aspiring voice actors until they're actually really trying to do it is um, 
thinking in that character's head mm-hmm. and and then not having to say well okay you should always talk to your director but like not having to ask what would how would my character feel about this kind of knowing right like yeah, that's yeah it's a, that's a very kind of meisner technique sort of thing if you want to get really granular with it uh, but, but like it's you know there's there's kind of the the idea that you know an actor in character should respond if and when the character does right uh, and and so and not before and so that means and i i said in, in some of my earlier interviews with the company that like voice acting in, in itself is great and you can have some really impactful lines you can have some just wonderful moments of dialogue and, and connection and things like that but to me where impact lives is in silence and and i think that's when you hear an actor embodying a character between the lines, uh, in between the the syllables and everything, and it's it's just these moments of like you know like well you know screw you and the horse you rode in on and just right really you yeah, know yeah, like just yeah, like yeah, yeah. There, there's there's so many ways to play with those moments and and they only exist when the actor is aware that 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 the character is created in the in the the interim like that 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 the words are a symptom, I guess, of the right. disease of being an actor. <laughs> April, do you feel like the Borderlands games have given actors that kind of meaty, chewy part? Um, or do you think that's that's evolved as the games have evolved? I think it's evolved as the games has evolved. I think we... So when we get lines quoted at us, when we like see people at conventions or we meet people in the wild, um, the thing that is most commonly quoted to us is battle dialogue. It's It's always battle dialogue. And so proclamations, exclamations. Yeah. Right. Like, it's it's yeah. the things that you hear when you're in combat. And so we've always had that in the game, but as we've grown, the game has gotten more ambitious. The amount of VOBD has gotten more ambitious and like how deep we're willing to go into character and how deep we want to go into character. Mm-hmm. And because the vault hunters often come back as NPCs, we get to go and re-explore that, their characterization and the ac- actors get to re-explore that. So yeah, I think I think making it sound cool and sound believable has always been a part of Borderlands games, but I think that we are growing and we are more invested in that now than we ever have been. But it's always been something Gearbox as a whole was passionate about, was like, we didn't want it to sound wooden or um, non-affected. Like you wanted it to be like, we make these big bombastic games and they're absurd. And so we want to have like the ability for folks to come in and just be like, okay, well, this is the silliest thing I could say, but can I say it dramatically? Can I say it right. convincingly? Mm-hmm. Can I say it and deliver it in a way to where you as a player have just accepted like, that's just the tone and this is that person and I'm in. So yeah. We, we've talked a little bit um, as we sort of talk about uh, the actual job, the the business of of voiceover and video games. We've talked a little bit about each of your sort of backstories and how you came into this. Um, but Joel, what did you do before Gearbox? Uh, before Gearbox, I, I worked as a VO director in the the anime world. Uh, I was over at uh, Funimation, uh, over in at Flower Mound at the time. Uh, but I was a a, deri- a, a VO director, uh, actor, and uh, adaptive scriptwriter for them. And uh, before that, I was a master carpenter of Dallas Children's Theater. I was I did rigging work and stage electrics and everything. And so, like, I was a handsy man, manly dude for I have a minute. A, yeah, I have <laughs> a, a tool belt. He does. Uh, yeah, I got a few. Yeah. yeah. I have a dining room table that Joel actually made for me. That's right. 
It's, yeah. And you you sit there and think about him as you have like pastas and like. Yeah. It's mostly where I do puzzles because I'm, oh, okay. I'm an elder. Okay. That's right. That's right. You, you daughter around in your house coat I and do. slippies and, and. Sip my tea and I'm like, ah, oh, Joel, yeah. what a table you've made. What Is this a, a 45 degree angle? Structurally sound table. <laughs> What sort of joint is this? <laughs> is that the kind of thoughts you hope to have in your old age where it's like, mm, molding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sturdy. I was just comforting thoughts about my surroundings where I'm like, ah, I just want to be whatever the sleepy time tea bear is. Like, that's just how Man. I want to live the last 30 years of my life. See you anamorphing into that. I, I, <laughs> I feel like your, your path into games is fairly linear, if that makes sense. Um, you yeah. took skills that translate directly into what we're doing here. Did you feel any kind of shift between the anime world and video game voiceover world? Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, the, the, uh, um, the, the video game voiceover is a lot more uh, kinetic, dynamic. Like it's, it, the, the stories are still being made. Uh, whereas in dubbing, you know, you, you, well, at least when I started at the company, we would get finished products. We're right. like, hey, this has been out in, in Japan for two years. Make it English now go, uh, and it was it was straightforward. Um, and whereas games are in flux, um, sometimes pretty well into the process, uh, you know, despite everyone's best intentions. Uh, and so there's a lot of kind of being able to roll with punches, being able to adapt uh, and to adjust to you know changing criteria and, and all that. So it's it's been um, there has been a learning curve, but uh, I don't know. So far, so good. I, I think guess. you've been doing great. Sure, April. Did you have a, a traditional path into this weird industry? 100% no. Um, so prior to coming into Gearbox into operations, I was actually a full-time yoga teacher. So I taught hot and power flow, which means I would basically spend three to four hours a day doing push-ups in a 90-degree I, I teach room. hot and I teach power flow. <laughs> you decide you, which you one. You pick which class you're showing up to. Uh, yeah, so I, I did that. And as I was doing it, I loved it, and it's the thing I love doing most in the world is teaching yoga, but I was like, oh, man, there's no 401k for this shit. So <laughs> I came over to Gearbox. I'd always been huge into games, and I always had a I big love I decided to them. get a boring job. Decided <laughs> to go to the old salt mill. And so I came into Gearbox at operations, and then um, when they were building the narrative department, they were like, hey, that kid upstairs sure does have grit. Uh, mostly they were like, <laughs> I like the cut of her jib. Mostly they were like, she seems good at de-escalation. We should bring her down here to this environment. Did you learn that in yoga? De-escalation? Actually from bartending, but a little oh. bit from yoga. Um, because I think the, the strongest transferable skill that I got from yoga that translated to making games was when you were teaching yoga, you go into a room and there's anywhere from 10, 20, 30, 40 people in that room. Right. And they are getting one piece of information from you. Uh, so I am instructing them, guiding them, for lack of a better word, providing them choreography. So you're able to see very quickly, oh, I said a thing and it has been interpreted 15 different ways. Right. I said a thing and 20 different people all moved their body differently to how that interpretation works for them. I just sort of like picked that up and clicked that over working with writers where you're like, oh, I'm giving you a piece of information. And then you get to see how they ingest that and who needs more time Who's or crying. more space. No, but it, it also is like, it also leads to this environment of being like, I don't get offended or upset if someone comes back to me and says, hey, I have some feedback on how that was delivered or, hey, I need more information. I'm not like, why didn't you get it the first time, dildo? I'm just like, <laughs> hey, we're all products of context, meaning our backgrounds, how much sleep we had, how much coffee we had, what 
what we're feeling at any given point in time. So that was the best thing was coming from an environment in yoga, which is all about the context we carry with us as humans. It's safe to say there's certainly more than one path into video games. Oh my, yeah. yeah. No yeah. one, you could talk to every single person at Gearbox and they will all have like a buck wild way they got here. Um, and I think that's a, I, I think that's a thing that Gearbox should be and is proud of that like some of our incredibly talented concept artists started in operations, right? We have folks that are managing directors of production, senior project producers that started in QA, yeah. right? So like how you get here, we want life experience and different backgrounds and stories. I actually had someone contact me on Facebook last night saying, Hey, I want to do a, I don't want to bug you. I want to apply for this job that Gearbox has posted. Yeah. I just want to ask you if you think it's worth it. It says you need 10 years experience uh, in AAA game production. I've only got 18 years in animation production. And I was like, is it even worth it for me to apply? Oh. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, first of all, um, literally my background, like that's how I got this job. And we let uh, you in the door. Yeah, sure. I mean, so check off can do it. Anybody can do it. But like, uh, but like it's, I, I don't think, I think people think there's this uh, velvet rope yep. that says no video games are special. And it's like, no, your talent is special and valuable. And if you can add to this big meat stew of, of talent and weird things, then like we absolutely want that. Yeah, it's not, no, I don't want to like, it is not an easy industry to get into. Not at all, but 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 eighteen years experience. Yeah, you're good. I mean, come on. Well, and like our associate producer of narrative, like um, Katie Heacock, Katie was in the Navy and was mm. and worked at Disney, and I just looked at those two skill sets and I was like, well, if someone can deal with being in the United States Navy <laughs> yeah. and was a Jungle Cruise skipper, there's absolutely nothing that we can do that she wouldn't be able to have a plan for or be able to react to and solve it. You think she can still do the script, the Jungle Cruise script? I bet she could. That, that would be something I would enjoy. Matt, when we were, uh, when we were taking applications for the, uh, an assistant VO director, uh, we got some really fascinating applications from people that were just like, I want to have a beer with this person. Like There was a guy who was like, he's diffused bombs in Afghanistan and like worked at the CIA and like all this other kind of stuff. No entertainment experience at all, but I'm just like, this is fascinating. Uh, you know, and there were some really, really compelling, interesting people that, that threw their names in the hat. There were also people that were just like, here's a picture of my license. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we got some really wild stuff. There was there, there was a, yeah. there was a questionnaire Mike that they dropped. had to fill out in one of the questions. Like there was somebody skipped every question on the questionnaire except for That's bold choice. Except for would you theoretically be willing to move to the the Frisco area? Okay. She said no. Uh, and then it was why do you think this is a good fit for you? And then it, she said my husband says I have to get a job. Oh, and, no. and, hey, and otherwise I it was her. blank. And I was like, you know what? She's doing great. Like she, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she had that. She had the Navy. She yeah, had Jungle right. Cruise. Like this is the whole package. Yeah, it's not the same person. Uh, let's talk about the components that bring a video game voice acted uh, performance to life: script, casting, director, actor. You have both written for Borderlands games. Are there any plot elements or characters that you put into this franchise that you are proud of, or even single lines of dialogue? Um, I'm trying to. I, 
don't remember if there are any characters that I've added. That I, there were definitely some echo logs that I wrote in Borderlands Three yeah. uh, around the um, the pain and terror, um, uh, you know, murder circus kind of thing. Uh, that I, I get to write some. Uh, more or less unique characters for that. Uh, m- mostly, I love writing battle dialogue, and I, yeah. it, it gets tedious after a while because you know it's hundreds, if not thousands, of of, of barks and, and one liners. Uh, but uh, I, for um, uh, one of the. Uh, pirate skeletons that you fight in uh, Wonderlands uh, ended up being my buddy Ian, uh, and uh, so they're, they're all very piratey and yar right. and da da da. But like one of my favorites was uh, where he goes, "Yeehaw! That's right, I'm bilingual." And <laughs> <laughs> just okay. being able to get away with stupid crap like that—not all the time. Like it still has to you know, be driven, but like uh, I love that. That's I not love bad. playing. Yeah, I think so. Some of the stuff that I've written, like we haven't, it hasn't seen the light of day quite yet but I think like my favorite contribution was that I got to play around with was we knew we had to go do a table read for a Wonderlands game uh, when we were working on Wonderlands and so Sam Winkler who was the lead writer on that was like hey can you just do like a random accent for this table read and, like I'm not an actor like it's not a thing I'm not like acting is my passion I'm like yeah whatever dude I'll do it and so I based it on my aunt and so we gave her the Minnesota accent oh oof da yeah. and so we liked it so much that we ended up casting an actress because I'm like, it couldn't be me. It shouldn't be me. But we ended up casting someone mm-hmm. for that. So that was, I think. Well, and that's also why they, they, I think, didn't after we added the dialect, didn't they change the height? Because she was a soda shop owner. Right. And they shortened her. So now she's a mini soda. Mini soda. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, woof, <laughs> You go down. Yeah, oh, it was boy. great. So that, that was some of the, the stuff. But yeah, we've, man. I, I got to write for one of the DLCs. I think it was the um, the Handsome Jackpot DLC. I got to write a bunch of uh, battle dialogue for the Goliath, and I love the Goliath because he's so stupid. And Chris Rager is one of my favorite people. He's a great actor. Uh, but I ended up not intentionally at first, but after a while, it became a thing where I was putting in stuff that my camping buddies have said in the past, like when just in drunken rages on camping trips, because uh, it's basically... <laughs> Do they always end that way? Oh, they start, start that, that way. way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. But like the whole thing was that a Goliath is at a casino and can't get out, and he's been stuck there forever, and uh, and so it's just him like still not knowing that his vacation isn't really over yet. He's kind of stuck there now, and so it's this Goliath wandering around going, Margamita! <laughs> <laughs> it's just stuff my drunk Man. camping buddies have said. It's really fun. I feel like that uh, the handsome jackpot, which was our first DLC for BL3, which we made with GSQ. So, mm. which is our, our DLC BL3 GSQ. What GSQ, do you do? which is our our Gearbox Quebec City. Uh-huh. And so, there's something really fun about getting to work with the Quebecers, <laughs> like Quebecois. The Quebecois. Uh, there's an, uh, they're really into where our humor overlaps is always kind of like a fun spot to see. Uh-huh. Because at one point we were doing something for, they had a list of what we would call dad jokes. Like, hey, these are some dad jokes. Mm -hmm. And they wrote it as daddy's jokes. And I was like, oh, that is a different connotation. (laughs) But I had a good time with that. But no, when we That's a localization issue. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. That's exactly what it is. We're learning. But we had a really good time on that, the handsome jackpot, because we Mm -hmm. just got to write people that had been trapped in a casino for so long. I'm not yeah. over daddy's jokes. I'm sorry. No one's over daddy's <laughs> jokes. It'll haunt your dreams. But getting to do, that was the only battle dialogue I've ever performed. And Joel was just like, messaged me. He's like, can you do a transatlantic yeah. uh, uh, accent? And I was like, yeah, who among us? Yes. Right? And so I got to go in and play a... Slot machine, right? A slot machine yeah. that doesn't want to be in combat. 
So it was just like running away, but also sounding like Catherine machine. Hepburn. Yeah, it was. And for the kids out there. Oh, Kath- well, this is no good. Yeah, it was basically just like. <laughs> I don't want to be here at all. The future is now, you know, just like nonsense <laughs> like that. But yeah, that was a great Who's time. Who's shooting all these bullets at me? <laughs> I don't like any of this. Um, do we have a favorite casting git for Borderlands? Someone <sighs> that you were like, this is who needs to play this part. And then you got them. Um I can name a lot of them. Um, well, so um, one of my favorite stories from since uh, from the, the time I've been at Gearbox so far is uh, when we were conceptualizing some of the cast for for Borderlands Three, and we weren't ready to, to audition yet. We were we were still kind of putting the fun, finishing touches on some characters, many of which had been in development for years, uh, you know, at that point already. Uh, but uh, they, uh, the writers approached me about doing a, um, a vocal exploration. Basically, we wanted to try out an accent on a particular character and see how that jived with, with their sensibilities about the role. Uh, and, uh, and again, I said, we weren't ready for auditioning. They just wanted to, to hear it and see if that's what we wanted to cast a wider net for. And so they were like, we want um, uh, a British, but a very particular kind of British. Uh, and today they sent me some clips from Attack the Block. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, which is fantastic. Indecipherable uh, British. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Subtitles and, on British. And they, were like, yeah. we, they were like, we want to try this out. And I was like, tell you what. I was like, it, we're, if you're not sure, I got a buddy that I'm going to be seeing pretty soon. Um, uh, we're, we're both on the convention circuit together. And so I took some material to my friend, uh, Kieran Strange. Uh, and Kieran had uh, just, I think within months before that, uh, announced his transition. Um, and that uh, that he was uh, had kind of come out as as trans as a trans man, and uh, I I think I knew that, but I hadn't been around him since that transition. Uh, but anyway, he's got that voice, uh, and right. so I approached Bruv him at the convention. Yeah, very much yeah. so. And so I approached him at the convention, and we, we we talked a little bit, and we didn't even know each other super well. Like we'd gone out for drinks a couple times with some other people, but uh, but anyway, uh, I was like, "Could you put this down? It's not an audition. This is just you know, it'd be basically doing me a favor." Uh, and then once we get to auditions, if we do decide to go that direction, maybe I can get you to you know throw your name in the hat and all that. Um, <clears throat> it was uh, uh, so he knocked something out uh, like after we got back home from the con. And he sent it over, and I played it for the team. And I was like, this is already really exciting. And I played it for the team, and they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is what we want for this character. Cast her right now. And I was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I, like, right. I was like, this is, this is Kieran, Kieran, Kieran Strands. Uh, and uh, uh, and they, everyone got really excited because, uh, you know, of course, uh, as love it or hate it, Gearbox – Go stay woke, uh, and uh, and we, we we don't go broke. No, nope. so far so good. Uh, but we we'd never had a trans character represented in the game before, and ever and the writers got really excited about the opportunity to authentically um, represent somebody from a community that we had previously not had the chance to explore, and so. Um, uh, I talked to Kieran uh, about, you know, would you be willing to have some conversations with the writing team about a direction this character could go? We want it to be authentic. We want it to be real. Um, not only did Kieran eventually book the role um, once we got through the, the the audition process and everything, but worked very closely with the narrative team to make sure that everything was done respectfully uh, and in a way that you know was was you know showed the community in a good light and and uh, uh, Kieran just recently won a, um, a gaming award G A Y M I N G for for representation and um, for new tales uh, correct for, well yeah. And, yeah and it was it was and it was the first uh, I believe first character in video game history where we've seen a transition across multiple titles wow. uh, so when we first meet Lorelai in Borderlands three female uh, by the time uh, and then uh, starts to explore uh, his identity through bunkers and badasses in Wonderlands uh, and then we we finally get to meet him in his his true self uh, in, as in new tales yeah, yeah. as Laura yeah. yeah that's awesome have you yeah. had other have you had other actors not 
I don't want to say correct you, but like gut check you on, is this appropriate? Like, is this authentic? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, Kean Barry, who plays Zane, uh, you know, who's definitely got kind of an Irish t uh, tilt to him uh, in Borderlands, uh, he was really helpful. Uh, he actually improvised, or not improvised, but he sang a little bit of an, uh, a traditional Irish song about penises. I don't know. I don't remember if it made it into the game or not. The one they opened church <laughs> with. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... Uh, there was uh, uh, Zara Fuzzle, uh, who was able to, to improvise bits of additional dialogue um, in, in uh, uh one of the many languages she speaks for uh, Amara, one of the player characters in Borderlands 3. Um, yeah, it's that I think that's one of the things that casting authentically and appropriately gives you that any anything else doesn't uh, is is you get to you you allow the the actor to experiment uh, within a realm that you don't and can't understand the same way they do. And so if you trust them and if you give them a little bit of flexibility to kind of just show us what you can do, tell me where right. I'm wrong, uh, you know, help guide this character. That, that's what actors are there to do, and they love it. Well, that takes us into directing. How much, you know, in film, you, you whether you're, I mean, you're wrong if you think this, but pretty much everybody gives the director full credit for the entire movie. Right. How much influence does a video game voiceover director really have on the final product? Uh, I'd like to say a lot, but rea <laughs> realistically, I, I, I've always said that that a voiceover director, regardless of the kind of project, is in a support position, uh, which, which means that we're there to uh, help the writers to realize the vision that they've they've put down. We're there to support the story by casting well, uh, and we're there to support the actors by providing them with the tools and information they need to make the right choices and to to, to build something worthwhile. But I think any in, in entertainment or artistic endeavor is full of people who trust each other to do their unique jobs. Um, and so while I'd like to think that I leave a directorial fingerprint uh, at times, for the most part, it's I, I'm a, a, a kind of a translator between, you know, here's right. what the writers and, and the, the script need you to know. Here's here's the map, like, because the script is a map, uh, and it's and it gives us what we need to make these choices, but it's our job to turn it into something more three-dimensional. Are you... Are you the the sort of entity that the writers can trust to not to not have to direct it themselves or whatever? It's a different skill, but it's yeah. like, hey man, I'd like to think so. I wrote this character. I really hope it turns out this way. All right. Yeah. Well, and I also almost always invite the actor or the the, the writers into the room uh, so that they can contribute. Now, I, I will insist that I be the only voice that talks to the actor, uh, but the writers get to talk to me. Just because uh, so, you like the sound of it. Everybody does. Yeah. I'm, I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, but, but so the, the writers are like, I, I I want their input before the, the, the casting process and the audition process and everything. And I want their input throughout as well. Um, and I was telling I was telling somebody just the other day about I, I actually played um, on a previous Borderlands DLC years before I was ever hired as a director. I was playing a robot uh, in a in a Borderlands DLC and just appeared as a mission giver in one side quest. And he says, "My my girlfriend Stella, who's another robot, lost her wig." Uh, and I I yeah, can this, you find it? For it me? This was an Anthony Birch original. Uh, <laughs> it was, can you find it? And it was a very very straightforward uh, thing. Anthony Birch was in the room, uh, and uh, and so. They, the director or the, um, uh, the the engineer asked me to kind of play with a way to make the, the voice sound robotic. Uh, but they were like, you know, we don't want it too stilted. The robots in, in Borderlands are typically kind of, you know, human sounding. But like we want something that indicates that. And so I started doing this thing where certain words I would always repeat the exact same way. Like it was, like there was only one take mm -hmm. in the database kind of thing. Uh, and so every time I would say the girlfriend's name, I'd say Stella. Uh, and it, was, it had all the same inflection every single time. And Anthony got really excited and he started writing and adapting lines in real time 
time to put that word in more often. And then I think he ended up writing a couple other lines. And so like it, that's the environment that I try to foster is is that everyone is is there to contribute and there to be a creative in your own corners. But all those corners come together into to something that's, that's bigger than all of us. Right. And so I, I think if you have a writer there, if you have an, uh, an actor who's encouraged to play, um, and if I kind of keep an eye on, okay, maybe we jumped the shark there. Uh, you know, let's let's kind of rein it in. It's kind a of... it's a band at that point. The song yeah, the song is so. the thing, and, and yeah. the band has to make it happen. Like it it it's a creative collaboration that I think goes unseen. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time, and and probably should. Like I mean, most directors don't care about like you know. Uh, awards or interviews or anything like that. We just want to work, same as everybody else. You're just else. humble. Just a regular guy. Just, just a regular, just like very, else. very wealthy guy. <laughs> but but I, I think it's one of those things that like, if you notice the direction, you're probably missing out on some other cool stuff. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. April, you played a transatlantic slot machine. I did. <laughs> you have also played in Borderlands 3, crew member number nine. Oh yeah, because I got an IMDB. Mm -hmm. Crimson Raider Norma. That's right. And Bandit Walla, as we, as Bandit we Walla. talked about. Uh, it does not list my role in two DLCs, which is Transatlantic Robot Slot Machine. And the second one was I did one echo log where I was basically captured and eaten in um, the second DLC for BL3. As what? Basically, I have a um, a mic and I'm listening. It's like a slow descent into madness. It's oh like God. I play a scientist who's hearing the sounds of yeah. this like sort of... Um, Eldritch God, Eldritch God, and uh, is hearing voices. And so like the last line is basically, basically me being like, did you hear that? And then it's just like snarl death. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's all the acting I ever want to do. You don't have aspirations beyond no. transatlantic slot. Once you've done transatlantic slot machine, <laughs> once you've peaked. You, yeah, once you've said, that's your hand, boys. You're just sort of like, where else do I go? It's, it's down, only down. 21, hey, big spender. It's like, uh, you're like the Mary Shelley of voice acting. Right, one, and one and done. Perfected it. Done. That's why Joel let me do a few rolls because he's like, oh, you're not thirsty for this. <laughs> I, I was almost eye rolly put upon. I was like, ugh, fine, Joel. Fine, I'll do a voice. <laughs> uh, Joel, the opposite. Um, <laughs> you're thirsty as hell, it seems. It's, Look, it was. Your, your IMDb has, uh, you know, My Hero, uh, Dragon Ball, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, I was in Yu Yu Hakusho? Or not. Joel just shows up. I, I think you were. Um, but also your photo and I, Vault <gasps> oh, Hunters, dang it. Vault Hunters, <laughs> go look up Joel McDonald's IMDb photo. I can only describe it as intensely sexual creed, right? <laughs> yeah, like Scott I mean, Stapp with doomy eyes. You're not wrong. Yeah. I, yeah. That, so we had to prepare a PowerPoint presentation about our wonderful Matthew Ward, um, uh, cinematic director. Uh, director of cinematics here at Gearbox. Um, oh, he's the cinematic director on this very podcast. I, I can yeah, see yeah. him right now, but he had to prepare this PowerPoint Big stuff. that we had to send out. And I was like, Joel, I need a picture of you for this. And he sent me a picture of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. And I was like, Joel, that's not what I asked for. And so I said, fine, I'm going to go to IMDb. And he was like, April, no, April, no, April, no. No, 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 no. So I still, we, we presented this uh, presentation about our department with uh, that picture of Joel. Yeah. And I promised you it wouldn't go wide, but it's on your, it's on the I internet, know. man. I can't but stop I, that. I will say, so every time I do like a podcast or an appearance or a convention or something like that, when they ask for a headshot, I, if I have a chance, I will always send a different picture of Robert Downey Jr. Uh, <laughs> and it's gotten, I'm, I've got about a 35% success rate. Oh like, boy. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, 
Joel, as I went through your IMDb, um, I feel like Captain Flint in Borderlands 2 is is one of your larger characters in sure. the franchise. Yeah. But tell me about Tector Hadunk. Tector Hodunk, yeah. No, he's uh, there are a couple of side quests that kind of revol- revolve around the longstanding feud between the the Zaffords and the Hodunks. Uh, and so... Zaffords, get off my property! Yeah, very much so. Well, and the, the Zaffords are uh, Irish uh, uh, equivalents, uh, and then the, the Hodunks are... Uh, me and April's people, like yeah. you know, we're from Hill the deep people. south. Yeah, we're, exactly. We're yeah. swamp people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, Ian Sinclair, uh, uh, again, a good friend of mine ever since our theater days. Uh, he plays the family patriarch, whose name I don't remember. Uh, but I was the, I believe, the oldest. Daddy son. Hodunk. Daddy Hodunk. <laughs> I believe no, that. That sounds like us. <laughs> I have no idea. But yeah, he 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 would speak in this like old. Appalachian Hill Country gibberish, and I would translate for him, uh, and uh, and yeah, and I appeared in uh, Tales from the Borderlands for the same uh, as the same character. But yeah, they uh, and and that and and Captain Flint kind of. How appeared. did the gibberish work? Uh, so, <laughs> so Ian would. Uh, just kind of improvised gibberish and just because but, but like we found it it works out like it sounded kind of spitty and insane if there wasn't anything behind it and so i believe it was eric vale was a contract director on the project at, uh, at the time and he would whisper random phrases into the microphone and ian would gibberishize them and so like <laughs> so like eric would say like uh one time i ate a pillow and ian would go wait him i ate a pillow <laughs> 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 so they did the entire game like that. Yeah, that's uh, that should be the main character of the next Borderlands game. That's awesome. a player character in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, um, which would be great. Actors surprise you in the booth. I, we've talked about how we allow them uh, space to breathe, yep. space to improv, space to influence the character. Has, has there been any improvs that have changed the character permanently? Just something unexpected, a sound, a noise, a particular line read? Once you start hearing their take on it and you hear them embodying the character, we've been like, oh, we will adjust some lines in later scripts to service that more, um, to give them more opportunity to um, add that to it or add their take on it. Uh, We've definitely done that. You've talked about Ian Sinclair a lot. Um, Captain Tront? Yeah, so that was something that we we oh god, it, I still think it would have been really funny. So Ian, when uh, when he was uh, Captain Trant and then General Trant, uh, uh, both played by by, by Ian, um, we kill the first one and then the other one's mad that his brother got large Trant family, uh, very much so. Uh, They're and not involved with the Hodunks and the no, no. Not, not here. Okay. Uh, but basically, uh, he came in. We were kind of establishing the voice. And we spent some time kind of exploring, like maybe we want to do it this way, and kind of playing with some different uh, formulas. Uh, and at one point, in the middle of a line, he burps really loud and directly on mic. Uh, a thing everyone with headphones loves. Sure, exactly. And But in true actor fashion, he stayed in character and, cont- and picked up the line where he'd burped and just kept going. Uh, and... It was. It caught us off guard so much that we we all just started cackling, uh, and I was like, "Can you do that on cue?" And he was like, "Yeah." Uh, <laughs> so we did. We played with it for a while, where he would just he was the burping enemy, uh, and we we thought it was really really funny. We we didn't know if it was going to stick or not, but apparently it was. Uh, it, it needed to be removed for uh, reasons beyond our control. Apparently, right. there are some cultures you just don't burp repeatedly. At Is people. that another localization issue? I'm telling you, man, we're sneaky. I want to circle back a bit because we've talked about how Gearbox has fully embraced remote recording, remote mm-hmm. 
work in a lot of ways. We, we build games with teams that are all over this country and others. How did the pandemic either institute that, affect it, per perfect it? So uh, obviously remote recording was a thing already uh, back in the days of Borderlands 3 and, and beyond. Borderlands 3 just being kind of my my introduction into the uh, the Gearbox world. Um, but, you know, one of our main characters lived in London, uh, several lived in, in California. Um, and so we were already well-versed enough in it. But, of course, the pandemic shook things up for a lot of people. And uh, and the fact that, that we suddenly had to lean into remote recording one of the easier problems to solve about a global pandemic sure. like uh you know and and uh, so you know not to uh, of all the industries that ground to a halt right video right. game voice acting was not one no, of them no 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 and there was a learning curve absolutely and so a lot of actors were like just i i tried to buy a pop screen a mic stand and some packing blankets on uh amazon i think in the early days of the pandemic i couldn't find those things to save my <laughs> life everybody like just it was like the the shelves were bare because everyone right. was trying to figure out how to do this from home uh and so uh, some actors were more adept at uh, and, and skilled at kind of slipping into that that space than others. But not every actor is a capable engineer or has a good recording setup or anything. And so, uh, and you know, most the skills are not mutually exclusive. No, like, no, yeah, yeah. but 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 the, uh, at the same time, like you know, we, you had some people that were had been learning for a while and like just kind of ramped it up, and but others that were just like, I want to be a star, and I've never thought about a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like well, I've never had a thought in my head. I'm not pushing any buttons. Very, hmm. very. Very much so. And so, you know, there was, we were all kind of figuring it out. And we, what we did in the early days was we bought, we, we put together these recording kits. Uh, and the, the audio team uh, were, were, you know, they did all this research into what mics would work best. Uh, you know, uh, just putting together everything in a, like a, uh, one of those things with the foam, like padding, yeah, or whatever, and the cutouts. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And like Andrew Cheney, who is a saint among uh -huh. men, not only did he have step by step and step instructions, he had pictures oh, like ikea yeah. furniture and he yeah. had a checklist wow. and he had it laminated like he was it was just like chef kiss it yeah. was incredible the work that cheney did but yeah and then we would send those those kits out uh we would you know help the actors set them up we would do a sound test and everything and then we would record and then of course there's there's added work on the back end for for mixing and implementing and everything just to make everything sound equalized and mm -hmm. like it was recorded in the, the right space uh, but we had some some weirdness like i, I know um uh, we had a, a our first session with andy samberg on uh, on wonderlands and uh, we had told him in the di directions it said, you know, you need to set this up in a closet or something with a lot of soft goods to absorb the sound. Uh, and when he first turned his camera on for our very first session, uh, he's in just this giant white room uh, and uh, like with bare walls everywhere. And I was like, we talked for a minute, kind of got to know each other. And I was like, hey, did you, I, I'm sorry, I hate to do this, but like, did you get that that thing that says it'd be best if it was in a closet, uh, you know, and, and everything? And he was like, well, yeah. He was like, but A, uh, this is where I set up to record stuff for Disney and Pixar, so it should be okay. He was like, cool, duly noted. And he was like, and also, um, this is a closet. I was like, oh my God. You, you see, Joel, I'm you, very wealthy. You poor. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, oh, we we did you have. Must be poor. We had a session with poor Chris Rager, who plays uh, Torg and the Goliath. We're not saying poor as in a, as opposed to Andy Samberg, who's rich, right? No, no, I mean, no actually, like, yeah, I want to commit to both. But we are okay. Yeah, okay. yeah that's fair. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, but yeah, he we, we got him one of the recording <laughs> kits. I think Andrew even stuck around to help him kind of set it up and everything, masked up, different rooms, all that. Uh, and then we recorded a session with him. And he screamed for Torg. Torg is Torg only records at an eleven. Like he's he screams 
bloody yeah, murder. Yeah, and the the Goliath rage is like at a seventeen. Yeah, exactly. Like it is yeah. so intense. And and Chris is a rock star. And like, but he, Hercule on Dragon Ball, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, similar. Uh huh. Yeah. Similar and then, tone. Uh, yeah, he's he's everywhere. Arlong, I think, in One Piece. And anyway, he just, he yells a lot. It's his thing. Uh, but he he even in studio, he will walk into the studio uh, into the booth with a roll of paper towels and then just mop sweat off of him as he the literal rage of the rager, yeah. the rager rage. But yeah, we we would typically for for Torg sessions because we go through it quick and we and he doesn't have any chance to vocally rest. We would typically do twenty maybe thirty minute sessions. We wouldn't get that many cues. Uh, because you know to push an actor well beyond their limits like that yeah. is is just cruel. Uh, but uh, we did an entire session from his home studio that we helped him set up in his closet, and then he forgot to hit record. Uh, and oh, so no. that was that's that why we was, say poor Rager, poor oh, poor, no. poor Rager. <laughs> he can't afford buttons. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, we got it. We got it fixed. We got it figured out. But yeah, that's a mistake you only make once. You know. Wow. Yeah, I think that's the same mistake of like. Uh, what what's our backup recording for this podcast? Like if we had done this for, you know, hour, hour and a half and then somebody went, forgot to hit record, I'd quit. Sure. Like I'd go into the ocean yeah, probably. Yeah. Wasn't meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I'm going through, uh, April, you've suggested that we you both started in the in the thick of Borderlands three. We did. And as I'm going through the voice cast on Borderlands three, a name sticks out that I can't avoid. It's Ice T. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about Ice Tea in Borderlands 3. That was great. That was super. One, it was really exciting because it's like we were in a, we used to have these narrative meetings when we were all in the meet space, right? We would all be in this thing we called the war room and we'd have like Pitchford there and the creative director, Paul Sage for BL3 and like Keith Schuler and like all these director folks would be in there. And uh, Pitchford just gets a call and like puts it on speaker and it's Ice Tea. And it's just like, hey, would you want to, you want to do this role? Yeah, it was just, just a very, cash call. It was a super cash call. Um, and so we were like, holy moly, that'd be great. Um, we knew we wanted it like we didn't want it to be like this large role because like dude's busy. Right. Right. So we were oh, like, Oh, he's on the 90th season of SVU. Right. Or whatever, so it's like, so. hey, how can you like strategically use this like really unique voice and this really specific actor? And so we ended up casting him as Balax. Um, and Joel was just like giddy delighted. Oh my God. Yeah, dude, I really wanted it. I wanted him on site so I could bring in my VHS copy of Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> but like kind of the most unique conversation around Ice-T was, was like twofold. So one, um, we couldn't, we didn't want to stop him, but also you couldn't get him to stop saying fuck. Yeah. In, 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 we had never said, we'd never used the F word in a Borderlands game. But he gets it, right? He does. So we had to have a big meeting, like a real meeting with people with suits. And we had to have like a real deliberation on, um, hey, we are M-rated, but like we've, we've kind of been kept that type of language out of it, right? right? Because there's a difference between like, because it's America, we're really fine with violence sure. and immolation yeah. and decapitation apparently. But if like someone's parrot walks into a room and they hear like- Spork torture. Spork yeah. torture, right. all the things we can do to a dead body. But if someone's parent like walks, like a kid's parent walks into a room and hears a lot of profanity, they'll stop and be like, what are you doing, right? So it's like, hey, we just Spork don't- torture, mom, get out of here. <laughs> get on out of here. So we just never really had it. So we basically had this like big deliberation. We were like, well, yeah. If you're gonna say it, who better? Is yeah, better person. Than I just remember Ice Paul Sage said at the time. He said uh, he was like asking Ice T not to say fuck is like wearing sunglasses to the Louvre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. And we were like, you were destroying art. Yeah. yeah. And so we were like, okay. And so we, we did it. it and we yeah. got two. We got two. Yeah. What are the lines? Uh, one of them is from when we are first introduced to Balex. Uh, and I think he yells, uh, somebody help me. I'm in a big fucking dinosaur. Uh, that's, that's trying to eat him. And then another one is in a Marauder's Day. Co- uh, additional content. Uh, it's almost an Easter egg. It's so small. It's very. It's and I think it's a low occurrence, and so it doesn't happen often. But like you know, so after we get Balex back to our ship, spoilers from several years ago, uh-huh. uh, uh, he becomes the the navigations or the PA system for Sanctuary. And so we'll occasionally you just hear I see I see saying the most random stuff, uh, which is delightful. Uh, but at one point during the Marauders Day thing, the Christmas kind of equivalent, uh, you hear him say, "Hey, which one of y'all put this Santa hat on me?" I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing of beauty. Once, once you gave Ice-T permission to record those lines, could you stop him? That's bold of you to assume anyone gives Ice-T permission to do anything. That's, God, what a, yeah, dude. I'm sorry. You know what? I feel like a fool. <laughs> I, dude, I loved every second working with him. Me. We called each other. We texted back and forth a couple of times. He like, was so great. He's just an amazing Did anyone human. ever suggest her? Rain him in, or did you realize? Yeah, that was no, impossible? no, no. We did, we did, we absolutely did. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, and he's he's a consummate professional. He'll do you know what what needs to be done. But we also told him that we wanted to, him to explore and play, and yeah. so he absolutely did that. But I don't know. I just I, I was delighted to work with him. He was fantastic. Uh, Penn and Teller were great as well. Chris Hardwick, um, uh, and uh, but but Ice T is exactly what you expect and want him to be. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> and like great. after he was cast, we actually changed some of the art. So on the Balex bear that we put his, you basically put like the data chip, you put the robot voice, whatever, into this little plushie. And we changed it a little bit, yeah. so it would be like more reflective. It's uh, on the plushie. It's uh, the the it says FLTG, which is Final Level Twitter Gang. It's, uh, <laughs> it's for Ice yeah, 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 that's pretty. He, good. We threw it out there as an option. He was like, "Do that shit," and, <laughs> <laughs> we did it. You text him right now and just see what he's. What I he's deleted up to. his number. Aww. I deleted his number because I was like, I know I'm gonna have too many drinks and be like, Hey guys, watch this. And that's not how you want it, it to go. You think, you think I can't text Ice T? Yeah. You think? You think I can't text Ice T? I want to end this episode the way that we end all of our episodes <clears throat> with our contest. Who does the best, Marcus? This is trash, and I'm gonna tell you why it's trash. This is trash. Because I am single-handedly the only person that has had to sit opposite this with an actual voice actor. Uh Uh-huh. So that's trash. Uh Our, Do you want to go first or second? Our, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I want to go second. Here's okay. the thing. I want to know who, I like, look, if you're going to go for the king, you can't miss. <laughs> our leaders right now yeah. are Randy Pitchford right. and Anthony Birch. <sighs> yeah. So it's a high bar. I know. It's a high bar. I feel like Birch and I already have the, the sidebar competition on who's the worst slash best vegan. So okay. like, at, at least I can beat him in something. So the line is, so you want to hear a podcast, eh? April? No, we're making Joel go first. I was going to say, the choice is to you. Yeah, uh, so Joel, you, you go first. So you want to hear a podcast, eh? It's not bad. It's not bad. April, I believe in you. I'm going to tell you why this is double bullshit. Because when we... <laughs> double boiled bullshit. When we do Temp VO for Marcus, do you know who does it? No. It's Joel. Usually me. <laughs> so anyways, I'm going to participate in this because I'm what you call a sport. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I'm going to close right. my eyes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So, you want to hear a podcast, huh? April, that was so much better than you thought it was going to be. Yes. That was... You're in the running. 
That's all I've ever You're wanted. In the <laughs> That's it's it's just. Do you just want it to be in the room where it happens? I just wanted you know? to be in the room where yeah, it happens. I just yeah, just yeah. wanted to be included. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Bald Hunters. If you aspire to be a voice actor in the video game industry, the obvious first step is subscribing to the audio version of Echoes from the Borderlands wherever podcasts are available. If you want to be a video game voice director, drink, drink and give up. <laughs> why? I mean, look, why? Why would you want to? Be a loke person. Be, yeah, be, be loke. Be a do, kingmaker. Do localization. And then subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gearboxofficial. Kingmaker. To see future episodes. If you play video games and you'd like to get every current Borderlands game at one great price, go snack our new bundle, the Borderlands Collection Pandora's Box, available now on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Huge thanks to my guest, April Johnson, who produced this show, and Joel McDonald, who begrudgingly named this show, as well as our behind-the-scenes heroes, Dakota Warren, Matthew Ward, and Hannah Terry. Our theme song is Get Out of My Head by Wandermind. For Echoes from the Borderlands, I'm Joel Watson. See you next time, Vault Hunters. Hunters.